Welcome to the Rhode Island Liberty Report, your source for libertarian commentary on current events in the Ocean State and Southern New England. Coming to you from Rothbard Studios. Welcome back, and here we are with another episode of the Rhode Island Liberty Report. I'm Mike, and with me, as always, are Sean and Bill. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Great to be here. Good, good. Yeah, it's uh, hot. It's hot, yeah. Yeah, and we, we're a little bit late on this one. Uh, we, we, we had uh, plans for the weekend to do a record, but we ended up uh, eating a lot of meat and barbecue and <laughs> yeah. drinking some beer. And <laughs> we're a little ambitious with our scheduling. We thought we were going to be able to do a cookout and get the podcast done and uh, yeah. the cookout and the food and the beer won out for sure. That's, yeah, <laughs> I think it was a good choice, but yeah, yeah. so but here know, we are. I, I remember it being a little bit cooler and, and now it's starting to get warmer. A lot yes. warmer, yeah. yeah. I think next week it's supposed to be cooler again, though. This weekend is really supposed <laughs> yeah. to get cooler again. Yeah. Yeah. It's been Maybe. like that all summer. I know. It's, it's kind of crazy. Uh, and of course, we're, we're recording on you know Pat's game tonight, right? So we gotta we got to wrap this up. So who, we can, who are they playing tonight, Mike? Well, it's it's a Washington football team. I'm not sure. What to, I think that's their name now, isn't it? I don't know. They might be uh, violating some copyright infringements of all the movies that weren't able to uh, use football names back in the day and right. to come up with the Washington football team, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, although John, uh, John, Sean, Sean, you're a, a, um, a um, Giants fan, aren't you? I am. And we even, see we even let you in on the podcast, and you're, <laughs> and you're a Giants fan. <laughs> it's okay, you know. It's kind of nice sitting around and, and watching all the Patriots fans pass, you know, season just kind of moping around. <laughs> see, I, I'm old enough to remember when they were complete bums, and like <laughs> I, I couldn't watch home games on TV because they wouldn't sell out. Yep. That was like my my childhood, and so uh, you know, it's just. Back to the back to the good old times. <laughs> Maybe the price and price and availability of tickets will come down soon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we'll see. Um, so, uh, Sean, what's going on with the uh, Rhode Island uh, debt? Yeah. So, you know, as you guys know, every episode we kind of take a look at it. Um, I, I kind of wanted to shift gears a little bit. You know, still kind of focus on you know the debt and all those things, but wanted to you know uh, a few episodes back we started looking at the budget and kind of wanted to start digging that kind of thing out uh, each episode, a little bit of tidbit of fun. So, uh, you know, traditionally we go over the state debt um, and, you know, it's derived from the budget, which ultimately gives us the debt, you know, just to give everyone a recap, you know, we're at $11.8 billion uh, and growing and our current deficit spending is at like uh, $3.2 billion. So the state's bringing in more money or the state's bringing in less money than it's actually spending. So, uh, you know, let's try to get to the bottom of it. Obviously, if we keep this deficit spending going, we're going to have to pay more in debt service. So in order to try to figure out some of the stuff, you have to pull up both the legislation and the budget documents. And uh, it, it's funny because neither seem to really match each other. You know, I, you would think that there would be linkage and transparency. There really isn't. Uh, but one of the things that stood out to me immediately when I was going through the approved legislation was the line item for debt services payment, right? So this authorizes the treasurer to make payments to the debt. And uh, and for the next year, the state of Rhode Island will end up paying $185 million for debt services. Now, this is interesting because, uh, as I just pointed out, you know, we're at $3.2 billion for the deficit for this year alone. So it doesn't really seem sustainable, right? What do you guys think about that? 
It doesn't. And, and this is and now the debt service. This is because of bond referendums and other spending that uh, both the legislature and the uh, the voters in, in terms of the special election we had uh, last year and, and the many bond referendums we've had over past elections uh, have basically put us in debt and is putting us in debt for the next what, 20, 30, 40 years in, in per- perpetuity at this yeah. point. So, and our children. And, yeah. and it's just unsustainable because it's not only our, uh, not only have we not funded these things outright up front, but we are uh, just burdening ourselves in the future and not putting any plans in fit place to prevent the same habits from happening again. Exactly. And it's, it, that's the, the recurring problem. This is what they call a structural deficit, meaning that it continually uh, gets bigger and bigger. It only goes in one direction. I'm just shocked that the, the, the things aren't, you know, matching up. I just, you figured they could get their numbers straight or. Yeah. <laughs> well, one would think they had a lot of amendments that they worked yeah. through, but it's one of those things. I think they have, they figure it out after they pass it, you know, it's yeah, as, pass it to see what's in it. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> the only other thing I wanted to bring up, you know, a fun fact was, uh, you know, one of the line items in the budget that encompasses the department of administration. Right. So I want to, uh, I'll read a, a couple blurbs from what, you know, they put in the budget for the, the, DOA, you know, and they're, they're tasked to manage the state's financial, human, technological, uh, uh, physical, and other resources that really uh, encompasses the state agencies to carry out their responsibilities to provide the citizens of the state of Rhode Island with the most responsive and cost-effective solutions possible. They lie right, right, right throughout it, right? right? You know, they oversee the provision of statewide uh, supportive services to all the different departments and agencies um, and they're tasked to ensure that the programs are efficiently organized and implemented. Uh, they provide support services to all the different departments um, relative to administrative and fiscal environments, uh, policy direction, uh, and statewide implementation for a wide range of other services. Uh, it was created in 1951 so that it could consolidate under one roof central financing, purchasing management functions uh, uh, for the state. So they have a budget of $1.2 billion uh, a year, uh, at least for this fiscal year, and they seem to perform a wide range of activities. So here's the kicker that I wanted to put in here for that, right? Each section and each agency has a set of performance metrics to measure you know, how they're doing. And this is all written in the budget. And you would think since it's about the budget that they would be about um, their financial planning, right? It's not. So (laughs) they only have two metrics that they gauge performance against. The first one is minorities in the executive branch of the state. (laughs) Uh, So one of the department administration's strategic objectives is to attract, hire, and retain a talented and diverse workforce. To that end, the department intends to increase the representation of people of color in state government. So when when they say diverse workforce, and then they say the second caveat of people of color, and and that's it, right? So they've been managing this, or at least in the budget, they report year over year, um, you know, what their metrics are for that. So in 2018, their target was, you know, an increase in growth in 22%. They didn't meet that target. Uh, The next year, they were more ambitious. They said a percentage of 24%. They didn't meet that either. The next year, 2020, 
They didn't meet that one. 2021, they actually reported 0% compliance with that. You know, and, and there's a caveat. They say, well, they can you know, uh, uh, report on these metrics. So there's actually no nothing holding them to say that they actually have to do any of this stuff, even though it's a performance metric, yeah. right? So for fiscal year 22, um, they're looking at a 22.7% increase uh, against that performance metric. So we'll have to wait until you know, next year to see if they actually hit that target. I, I find that funny, right? They have these metrics that they, they need to meet regardless of what they are and whether or not they're even, you know, legit or, or make sense, but they don't meet them, right? In the real world, if you don't meet your performance objectives that the boss sets for you or your company sets for you, you, you go away, right? Like what, well, so they just don't meet their metrics and they go right. and oh, and the, and the opposite happens. <laughs> There's no they consequence. Get, well, they get the consequences. They get more money next year to try to meet right. the goals. Yeah, that yeah. was obviously yeah. the problem, yeah, right? Exactly. They needed more money yeah. to do this. That, that's the, that's the main issue. And that's what happens with all these departments is that they continuously fail the, in, to do what they've been elected and assigned to do or appointed to and assigned to do. These aren't even elected people that are doing these, uh, you know, these functions. And then when they fail, they go ahead and they say, well, it's it's because we didn't have enough of what we did. So we need to have more of what we did, more funding, and let's just uh, ask for a larger and, budget next year. And I don't even think they care necessarily even about that. It's it's like, well, the, the metric is there just as a virtual signaling tool, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is what we're trying to do for this group of people. Yeah. And, you know, a, you know whether a, we meet it or not, it's it's the point that it's there and it's it, it's quote unquote important to us. Right? It's pump card material, yeah. right? So when yeah, you yeah, walk yeah. around from house to house and you're campaigning, you can say, look at how much money that I got for mm -hmm. this particular special interest that I'm trying to, uh, to yeah. woo as a voting block. Yeah. So and the other tidbit on that one is it's just targeted at the executive level. Right. 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 For those key positions of leadership throughout, you know, the Department of Administration. Yeah. So uh, you may or may not know this. I, I wonder who sets those like what sets the metric. I, I wonder. Yeah, that'd be an interesting a part of the proposed budget. Hole. So, I'm, you know, I'm guessing uh, it, it's actually uh, or I the think, governor's office. Maybe? I think it's the governor's office. You know, the people that are actually executing this setting that and then the legislative looks at that and goes, mm, yeah, that seems legit. Yeah. You know, I think it's OK for organizations to have goals similar sure. to that, but not for the budget. Yeah. Like that's how they're supposed to evaluate performance from the financial. So the other side, I'm like, OK, maybe they have a saving grace for performance metric number two. Mm -hmm. No. Um, so the other one is state energy consumption, right? So that's <laughs> yes, the other one. As a part of its efforts to provide cost-effective services, the Department of Administration is pursuing energy efficiency initiatives that will reduce overall consumption of gas and electricity by state agencies. So they, they put some figures that are measured in uh, BTUs uh, by the million. And, uh, you know, in, in 2018, they didn't report any. They didn't have a target. They I think maybe we're just trying to baseline it. Um, and we have, uh, in 2019, we exceeded the target. So obviously we weren't doing good. Mm. Uh, they, in 2020, it seems like we, uh, met the target, which was good. 2021, uh, they didn't report any metrics mm. and 2022, uh, yet to be determined. So it's, it's another one where they actually don't have to report anything. There's no incentive for them to perform against the performance metric. Yeah. I mean, it just, it's very telling, right? These two things, right? It's yeah. just right out of the progressive playbook. It's yeah. not even like, I, I don't even give it any kind of credit whatsoever. Yeah. And, and Bill hit it right on the head, right? It's it just, uh, for the most part, it's just for them to advocate for more money next time. Cause yeah. that's, that's the only reason why they, they failed to you know, meet those metrics. It's the ratchet effects, slow creep. It's every time you get a little bit of more money. Maybe we didn't get exactly what we wanted for this time, but it's just continually 
death by a thousand paper cuts and you know they're bleeding the taxpayers dry in the state exactly so that's all i have this week for for those opening remarks you know that this is really a rabbit hole we could go down on this segment Mm -hmm. but i just wanted to i thought it was interesting to point both the excessive debt payments that we have where those resources could obviously go someplace else and it's really just a drop in the hat compared to the actual deficit spending done in just one year right so there's no way we're going to be able to get out of this without some sort of radical change in in, in what we're doing and we'll need to come back to the department administration maybe i'll touch on them again next week to go over the actual functions and services that they provide right yeah, um, for my my uh, segment this week, I've got a, a couple things I want to chat. Two, two short short topics I wanted to chat about. So we, we're coming off a long weekend, actually. So we had uh, um, many of us on fr- on uh, Monday had the day off, right? It was, it was Victory Day here Victory in, day. In, in Rhode Gar- Island. Garbage pickup was the day late this this week. So it confused right. it, a lot of people. It did. It confused us. Yeah, we put, we put our trash <laughs> out. Um, but yeah. Um, it's one of those days, you you know, formerly called VJ Day, right? For those of us that uh, remember Victory Over Japan Day. So it celebrates the victory um, in World War II. Um, I think Victory Day now entitles the entire, you know, World War II victory, whereas back in the day it was just VJ Day, Victory Over Japan Day, which also marks the, the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, right? So when you kind of think about it, the, and I'm not one to go down the, the, the rabbit hole of, you know, holidays and, uh, you know, uh, stopping things because of something that happened, you know, um, we're celebrating. Well, we, like we talked about with the with the Redskins, you know, the Redskins versus the, the football team changing names and all that kind of stuff. But, um, the you know, thinking about what Victory Day actually represents and what it really means. And it's not, a, not necessarily a positive thing. And the, the amount of destruction and death that occurred as a result of that, you know, we often didn't think about um, the, uh, you know, well, this ended the war and it prevented a lot more death. And, you know, there's an interesting article I post from antiwar.com on, on the blog. I'll post it in the show notes, too, if I remember, um, not the blog, but the Facebook page. Um, I posted it there. Fortunately, didn't get much traction. But, um, you know, there's a lot of, of you know contradictory um, information out there. A lot of people will say that we were already on our way to having Japan was already on the way to surrender. They were just looking for an out mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't necessary, right? Like they, they were on their knees virtually and um, and they were looking for a, 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 reason, a way to save face um, within their own country. And you can't blame them for wanting to do that. Right. Um, well, the emperor in their, uh, culture was a God at that time. So it was, it was basically like trying to say that if your God is going to surrender to a part that just didn't compute with them. Right. And so they, again, there's a lot of, like you said, when, when FDR died and then Truman took over and had to make the decision, uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, input and there's the, the, the story, as you mentioned that, you know, it saved lives, but I think that's a controversial position. I yeah. think that's, uh, something that the 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 carnage and the you know everything that went on with the Cold War and and and, and everything that uh, grew out of the atomic age uh, and the nuclear program um, you know it's given us good things to nuclear energy but it also has that uh, really you know serious uh, ultimate uh, hanging over our heads all the time the, yeah. the sword of Damocles, uh, Damocles I think it is right is that the uh, I don't know <laughs> I, I, Greek mythology or something yeah, I don't know. yeah anyway. Yeah. No, yeah. So it's, um, you know, just a couple of quick numbers. It's, you know, about 140,000 people died in Hiroshima of a population of uh, 350,000. So that's a huge percentage of that population. 
um, and then 74,000 in Nagasaki for, you know, a total of 214,000 people that were, you know, either vaporized or died subsequently to either, you know, radiation poisoning or something to that effect. So it, it was, you know, the, the outcome may have been, you know, the end of the war, but it, it certainly took a toll on civilians, you know, and that wasn't just soldiers that were, were yeah. that were fighting. It was very good point. It was, it was a civilian population that was, was obliterated. So, um, you know, that's, uh, someone, you know, as a veteran, I know Sean, you're a veteran as well. Someone who's, who's kind of come from the neocon side of things and changed my position on war a lot, especially having, having been to, you know, a combat theater. Um, it's, it's, it, it hits home, you know, and, and you yeah. want people to understand the actual t- cost of war, not just on our side and our soldiers, but on the other side as well. And there are, there are innocent civilians that are caught in the middle and it, it is what it is. Well, and I yeah. think that's why most states stop celebrating it. Right. And, right. and I mean, really at this point, it's, it's not about, uh, victory day in the true sense of the the story that you just outlined yep. and the real history behind it. It's really victory of unions over the taxpayers at this point because they get another day off in, in August, in the middle of the summer, and it just goes to show how valuable your state government is. It can shut down for a Monday in the middle of August and nobody seems to realize. Nobody knows. The, only, the only interruption is your, your trash goes out a day late. Yeah. Now, that's pretty interesting, but it, it, just to re- reflect on like the current state, right? That, that kind of similar things still happens today, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe at a smaller scale, you know, a lot, a lot of people, you know, say taxation is theft, but also it's taxation is death. Your, your tax dollars are going towards things like this. You know, they you know, the, the military has changed their tactics definitely since then. We're not dropping nuclear bombs, but we're still dropping bombs. We've gotten more still killing civilians. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, and, and it doesn't matter, you know, who's in charge of the regime at that time. You could go back to, you know, Clinton, Bush, Bush, um, you know, Obama, Trump. They, they, they've all had a very similar hand in, in, in a lot of that stuff. And it's, you know, there, there are missiles that are killing kids and, and families, and we're still disrupting a lot of things abroad. So, you know, it might you might not see the effects of it uh, here, you know, in Rhode Island, uh, but, you know, there, there really is a, a larger meaning behind a lot of that stuff. And sometimes, especially on a day like that, you know, if you take a step back and just look at the big picture, it really, really scares the shit out of you. Yeah. 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 And, and, and also keeping in mind the, the, the effect that also has on, on the, the term blowback, right? Like, yeah. you know, as Ron Paul talked about quite often when, during his presidential campaigns, you know, um, you, you, you're, you're, you're killing, you know, uh, family members and whatnot. What, if someone killed my family, I, I would be really angry and want to get back, right? That's like what's happening right now in Afghanistan. After 20 years, we've been at war and we're trying to withdraw our troops. Well, every time there was a new surge or any type of thing, you'd, you'd kill a number of people. Many of them were fighters, but a lot of them uh, were innocent civilians. And that just radicalized a lot of the population. And you just, you know, you, you, you kill one, you get two back. And it's yep. you just a never-ending never battle. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, just another aspect of that. Like, even, even if we aren't the one dropping the bombs or supplying them right yeah. mm-hmm. so you know Yemen it, a good example Yemen's yeah. a great example of that you know the conflict between Israel and Palestine mm-hmm. right you know a lot of that is facilitated because of us right yeah. you know Israel has been you know the, the, regardless of people's stance on you know which country right um, you know we've been fueling a, a lot of that conflict because there wouldn't be as much violence or you know aggression from like a country like Israel if they did not have the means to be able to do that type of stuff so that that comes 
back to military industrial complex. It comes back mm -hmm. to us, you know, uh, being arbiters for that. And then if you really, you know, if you want to trace it back to principles, it goes back to the Federal Reserve because we're able to do all that. Yep. So, and that's why when people say, and the Fed, it has such a bigger meaning than just, you know, central banking. banking yeah. Right. And that that's when, when that connects, that's what connected for me. Mm -hmm. When you can link something like that to us selling arms and, and funding and sending so much aid to a country like Israel and then, you know, walking back and tracing it all to something like the Federal Reserve, that's 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 what blows your mind. And then you can't you can't unsee that anymore. Yeah. Yep. No, I, I agree. And I just want to finish with one last thing, just as a thought, you know, because I know if there's some people out there listening to this podcast who are are still, you know, have their neocon hat on potentially like I used to be. Um a lot of people tie their ego into American response and foreign policy, right? They tie their feeling of, of like self-worth into being aggressive. So therefore, if, if we're not aggressive, you know, in another country, therefore we're weak, therefore I'm, I'm weak, you know, that kind of psychological connection, try to separate yourself from that and, and look at the bigger picture, right. And, and yeah. understand what's really going on. And, uh, um, it was hard for me to do, you know, it, it, it took, it took, a, it took a while, but, uh, yeah, it, it, once you get kind of, um, that light bulb goes off, then, then you, you start to realize, but, uh, anyway, just, uh, moving on. I, I, another thing I wanted to cover again, real quick, two short, short things here. One was, um, in our comment section on Facebook, right. We got kind of got off track there a little bit and <laughs> some people kind of have some misconceptions about Liberty RI and what we are and where we come from. And, um, our associations and, and all that other stuff. And before I go any, you know, before I even get into a little bit of the history of where we, where it comes from, um, we are not the Libertarian Party of Rhode Island. We're, we're not um, no. at all affiliated. This is an independent group. Now, that's not to say that each of us here is not also a part of LPRI. I mean, look, Libertarians are not, not a very large population in Rhode Island, right? Especially really? active Libertarians, right? Yeah. So, so you're going to get crossover, but that's not to say all of us that are involved with Liberty RI are part of the Libertarian Party. Um, yep. I know at least two of the other people, John and Eric, who Eric used to co-host the podcast, is no longer in the party. They're not involved in the party. John's not involved in the party. He was at one time. The people come and go and they change their... Um, you know, uh, what, what their objectives are and what they, what they have time for, you know, are you, are you meaning to tell me that libertarians don't have a monopoly on Liberty? No, no, we no, don't. The word Liberty, right. <laughs> it's not, it's not a, a, a you know, monopol monopolized by, um, uh, Liberty RI, we also, our, uh, libertarians, I'm sorry. We also just to, to point out some things too, is we also have people who are involved in different capacities in Liberty RI. Some people are very active on Facebook. Other people uh, like ourselves are active on uh, the, the audio, the podcast medium. Uh, you know, we have people who are contributors to our web our website for articles and stuff like that. So, I mean, we, we try to make it clear that we're, we're trying to provide a Liberty perspective, but I think there's some, uh, you know, understanding that the views expressed by the contributors are mostly their own and not really the the even the views of Liberty RI for that matter. Right. And and I've over the years positioned Liberty RI to actually be independent of the party for the very reason it for it to be able to be critical of the party when it goes off track, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a division, there's a definite division there where we are pushing a pure libertarian message through Liberty RI. That's the goal of 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 this project, if you will. The, the the progressives have their own thing where they push their messaging through, pu you know, pure messaging. The, um, the, the, the conservatives have their 
um, outlets that they use to push their pure messaging through it. Now, their political arms, their political parties, the Democrats and the Republicans, they may be more um, populist in their in their motives and what they do, right? But that's not the function, uh, and and that's each uh, for each party to determine, right? Mm-hmm. And it's for those other external organizations to try to either bring them back into into on you know on track or or you know and, and manipulate manipulate. I want to say manipulate. It's probably not the bad the, the right word, but uh, maneuver th- those those things, right? Yeah. Um. So. Just a little bit of history. Liberty R.I. started back in 2014. September of 2014 was when I bought the, uh, the domain name. And it started prior to the uh, Bob Healy campaign. And um, it was, I wasn't even really libertarian, certainly not a political liberta- party libertarian back then, if, if anything was philosophical. And I saw that there was no outlet for, well, very limited outlet for libertarians in Rhode Island because the party was not active. There was nothing going on much there. Um, and then the Bob Healy campaign kicked off and I got involved with that um, more because of Bob, not because of the moderate party. I could care less about the moderate party. But, um, and then I met a couple of people there, one being John and, and another person, I won't mention their name because I don't have permission, but, um, uh, and we, I asked them to help me with Liberty RI and we kind of started moving that forward. And sure enough, the core of us, then Pat Ford came in and a bunch of other people and the Libertarian party started back up. Right. Um, when I was going to Libertarian party meetings back then, I was just still kind of staying true to Liberty RI because I wanted that to be my thing. But then I got, you know, as time went on, I got involved. But it, it was complete. It is, it is to this day completely a separate entity. You know, um, all of us could stop involvement with the party or move, not, not even stop involvement, just move on from there and let other people, you know, do other things in the party. Liberty R.I. is still going to stay on with its mission, right? Um, so, so it, it predates the research, the re, um, uh, uh, not resurrection, but reconstitution of the, of the, the LPRI. And, uh, um, that, like I said, that's, it's a media outlet or information outlet has always been our goal. And I, we understand that there's going to be different libertarian points of view and yeah. where, we're all for different, you know, disagreement or different, you know, views in the comment section. It's not, it's not something that we're, we're not afraid of or shy of for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, and then one last thing, the logo, right? So there's some also confusion that because we use the porcupine in our logo that we're somehow related to the libertarian party because of that. Now the porcupine has been a symbol of libertarianism um, for decades, right? Like it goes back to the seventies. Yeah. Leave me alone. That's yeah. the whole point. right? Well, if you think about the symbolism, right? A, a, a porcupine is a fairly docile animal that's well protected. Yeah. And if you mess with it, it's going to bite you, right? Like yeah. it, it's, you're going to, you're going to feel the, feel the, the pain, so to speak. And that's very much what a libertarian's position is, right? Like we want to be left alone, but we're willing to defend ourselves um, should, should we have to. So, yeah. Um, so now the, the actual funny, funny enough, the actual porcupine that we use in our logo actually came from the free state Pod project, which again, another organization that is very adamant about not being part of the political, you know, there's Republicans in there, there's Democrats, there's libertarians, there's all kinds of people involved in that, in that group. I, I, we, we took that, that porcupine <laughs> and I think we flipped it around, but it's essentially the same style porcupine. Whereas the libertarian party just recently within the past year, um, almost exactly a year has approved the porcupine officially as their animal. So like the, the, the Democrats have got the donkey, 
the um, the Republicans got the elephant, the libertarians now have the porcupine. Um, whereas before it used to be the torch and even the Statue of Liberty was often used in the older logos mm-hmm. as their kind of symbol. Um, so I guess there's kind of two, you know, several symbols that libertarians use nowadays. But you've got, I was talking about this before we went live, like there's organizations like Liberty Tax, uh, you know, preparers <laughs> that use the, the Statue of Liberty and they've got liberty in their name. Then it's certainly not libertarian, you know, like, uh, although maybe they're helping people not pay no, taxes. No, they're, they're lobbying to make <laughs> the tax code harder so they can <laughs> stay in businesses. That's a corporatism at its finest right there. But yeah, right. So they're the, definitely not libertarian. <laughs> so if people are confused that there's a, you know, that's their own fault. You know, that's, that's, you know, we try to make it very clear that we're not, we don't speak for the libertarian party at all, uh, or LPRI at all. Um, our opinions on here are our own or not are, uh, you know, a message in any official capacity. And, um, yeah, that's, uh, I guess, I guess that's, and you guys want to add anything to that? I'll just add to that just because I am the, the chairman, the current chairman of the Libertarian Party of Rhode Island. Um, you know, I've made it very clear that, you know, my opinions, again, are my own. I'm not speaking for the party in this capacity. If this reflects poorly on myself and the, the party members feel that anything I say on this podcast uh, deem me uh, not fit for office, they can feel free to remove me from office. That's fine. But I don't think I'm saying anything that's too far out of bounds so far. Uh, but yeah, Don't uh, hurt people and don't take their stuff is very controversial. I know, right? But uh, as chairman, I think I've, I've made it very clear in, in multiple avenues that uh, the focus of the party while I am chairman is going to be uh, growing our membership, uh, which allows us to increase our uh, funding to get volunteers and funding to our candidates who are going to run for office, who will actually have a, be in a position if, if they're elected to either the state legislature or their local town government to actually make impactful libertarian change in this state. Whereas if we just focus on the advocacy piece, number one, we're never going to make everybody happy because there's so many libertarian issues and we just don't have the resources to spread amongst all of those different organizations. So if we can just focus on the one thing of getting people elected and let other organizations go ahead and focus on the advocacy, I think it's going to be a lot better for everyone. And then that way, candidates can just run as a libertarian and choose which organizations they want to associate with and if there's anything that's beyond the pale maybe somebody's a libertarian but you know they don't believe in uh, cannabis for whatever reason or they don't believe in uh, gun laws for whatever reason you know does that make them somebody who is not a good candidate to run for office as a libertarian maybe that's for, that's the, for the membership that's to for the membership for right. to decide but that's exactly the type of thing where you know that other person may be great on a bunch of other libertarian issues and we may as a body may decide to endorse that candidate so again we we're not a monolith party uh and again our focus should be making sure we get candidates in the position where they can make meaningful change yeah you know what i think is really exciting and in 2020 2021 has really shown us that the the, the need for the liberty movement and I, you know i've been very impressed with like you know, the, the growth that the Libertarian Party wrote on has yeah. had, especially in its membership base, uh, you know, the messages resonating. But I, what I also want to reflect on is the number of organizations that are independent of it that are growing. You know, we've mm-hmm. got, you know, the Libertarian Party of Rhode Island that's out there. We've got Liberty RI, which is, in a, a, you know, a bunch of different uh, formats and, and, and medias. And we have that type of reach. But then you also have something like the Rhode Island Liberty Alliance that's there. And that's able to be yet another, you know, I, 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 the, the, I think the point I'm trying 
trying to get is the the more people that are involved, the more groups that are out there saying the message, you know, it, I, I think it's really, really starting to resonate. And I think that's the most important thing is to be able to support liberty and, you know, push the, the movement. And it comes in many shapes and forms. But, you know, these groups that are starting to pop up or have been here for a while, but really are starting to take off, it's it's a testament to, you know, what that message really is. And, and it's really exciting, I think. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just, I'll just finish it off with a, a little bit, add to, to what both you, Bill and, and Sean, both of you guys said, is that uh, some people are under the impression that everything libertarian needs to be done under the Libertarian Party umbrella, right? And that's really not the way it's supposed to be. It, it, for, just even from a strategic standpoint, right? Like you want to increase your footprint to make your organization spread across the spectrum and give everybody outlets to be able to do what they're interested in doing. So if your particular interest is in the political operations of, you know, uh, side of things, you know, you want to r- help candidates or run for office, that's under a political party. If you're an activist and you want to go out and hold the picket sign and, you know, shout at politicians coming out of the state house, you know, that should be done as a, you know, a separate uh, group entity and, and that group organizes and builds. not to say they can't all work together and feed off of each other. Look, that's what the Democrats, Republicans don't do it so successfully here in Rhode Island, but depending on where you're from, but the Democrats are very successful at that. And they have a million organizations and then they've got their political apparatus that is also fed into that whole system. And it's, it's in the news today, uh, Fang collective, uh, parked a car in front of Raytheon and chained themselves to it. And it was four hours that they were blocking the entrance of Raytheon and caused a big scene. And they were arguing the fact that they, you know, Raytheon is producing weapons of war. Um, you know, libertarians are very anti-war. We just talked yeah. about the whole VJ segment about uh, the, the, the stance that the libertarians take on that issue. And, you know, it, it may be something that we collaborate with uh, the fan collective. I don't think so because the, number one, that doesn't really uh, fit into our uh, our value system and, and the way that they they are approaching things and number two it seems to be a fairly uh, you know left leaning very liberal organization uh, but that being said imagine if people associated with the Democratic Party had sat down in front of uh, Raytheon and had in, and caused the big scene well We'd, that wouldn't would, have happened because Raytheon donates directly to all of our federal well, officials no, that's, here. It, that's exactly it but but again but think about what the optics look like that's something that you don't want to have if some organization goes off the rail, which let's be honest, some of the people involved in the liberty movement, especially some of the the topics that we're, we're discussing, um, you know, tend to be passionate and uh, uh, not to disparage them, but uh, sometimes they're over the top. And do you want that to reflect on an individual, somebody who's run for office as a libertarian? Right. That's something that kind of sticks in the back of your head. It's all the crazy stuff that goes on. Do you really want to be associated with that? If it's just a liberty related party, you can have some bit of a buffer and, and distance yourself from that yeah. a little bit. Yeah, yeah, no, I think you're spot on. And I hate to use military terms here again, but, um, you know, there's a, a, you know, libertarians, I think, have to get more strategic and tactical in their thinking, mm-hmm. right? Both tactical is on the ground type things, strategic, more broad picture, long term type type yeah. uh, uh, vision. And I, I think a lot of libertarians struggle with that. And hopefully maybe we can help. I, I don't know. We'll yeah. Hey, before we move on, I, you know, I'm just looking at our logo right now and it's pretty sweet. And I'm looking at, you know, Bill's laptop and he's got a pretty nifty sticker yeah. with the porcupine. Got it's, a few it, stickers on there. Huh? Yeah. Could, could we do a plug for, you know, how folks and, you know, the listeners could, could snag a, a free sticker? Yeah. I know you can get a free sticker on libertyri.com and you just fill out the form and we'll send you a free sticker. And also, I guess 
we could probably do like a pre-announcement, keep an eye out for a couple of other uh, you know, options that might be coming down the road. Yeah. yeah. So you, no you'll pun want, intended. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So you'll definitely want to sign up, uh, and, you know, go to libertyri.com and, 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 you know, uh, submit some details and, uh, yeah. you, you won't want to miss that. Get on our newsletter for sure. Yeah. So, um, speaking of how we all wear different hats, um, I, I also wear another hat. I'm also as a, uh, a four-time candidate for uh, state representative, chairman of the Libertarian Party, um, you know, a member of uh, Liberty RI, and and you know, down down uh, the list. I'm also a uh, vice chairman of the Warren Harbor Management Commission, which uh, don't get too excited about it. It's it's really <laughs> uh, uh, we meet once a month and we discuss all issues about uh, basically the harbor uh, and everything that's related to water access and, and clean water and everything like that. So uh, it's it, I highly recommend libertarians specifically get involved with local government. I mean, we are all about being volunteers, are we not? So uh, if we if we want to affect change in government, the best thing to do is to get appointed to a board. Uh, to be honest with you, in my town, there's a number of boards that are looking for people to get appointed to, especially if you want to run for office at some point. It's a great thing to put on your palm card that you are uh, somewhat civic minded and you're not uh, you actually have an idea about how things work. It also gives you uh, a lot of good insight about the inner workings of our state government. And that's kind of what I want to talk about a little bit, because this is what triggered uh, me to bring up this topic. But I've been on the Harbor Commission since maybe 2014, I want to say. Uh, so it's been a, a pretty decent amount of time. And uh, about the whole entire time I've been on the Harbor Commission, we've been working on two things, uh, identifying all of the specific right of ways so you can have access to the water, uh, only about, uh, you know, three Three quarters of them have actually been uh, approved by the CRMC. Uh, there's some disputes about the other ones and, you know, private property rights and everything like that, uh, which, uh, you know, is a, is, a, is a topic for another day. But we've actually had uh, a Roger Williams Law Fellow come and review the, the title documents, and uh, we have a pretty good case that this is, in fact, uh, land that's been given to the public trust, which is uh, property values of all of us as uh, residents of the state of Rhode Island or even uh, members of this country because uh, we're allowed to have free and unfettered access to our shorelines. It's part of our Rhode Island constitution. And uh, just keep that in mind because I'll, I'll come back <laughs> to that in a little bit. Uh, but the other major thing we work on uh, or have been working on this entire time is uh, rewriting our harbor management uh, plan. And each town that has a harbor is required by, or access to water, is required by the CRMC to develop a harbor management plan in basically outlining how we operate and manage our harbor, where our mooring fields are, what the water types are. It's, it's imagine, you know, two, 300 pages of bureaucratic BS that uh, we spend uh, however many years it's been working on, uh, and then it gets stuck in a drawer somewhere before it gets uh, revamped again in, in another uh, 10 years when, they, when the, when the <laughs> renewal comes up. But the reason why I bring it up is because uh, we submitted it forever ago, and then it just the deadline went past, and they had it, and they hadn't reviewed it yet. And then we're waiting to hear back from them. And when the first thing we hear back is that uh, we're required to go to DEM and get a water quality certificate to include with our harbor management proposal, which we've already printed out like four copies of this 300-page document to submit to CRMC. So they want this water quality certificate, and so they actually want the town of Warren to pay the DEM like something like 450 bucks or something like that to get a water quality certificate, which is a requirement 
of the harbor management plan. Hang on a second. You can go walk into Lowe's and get the free test kit. Well, no, this is, this, is not, this is not what you actually think it is. It's, it's typically, if you're doing construction anywhere near a wetland or a, a, a coastal area, uh, you need to go get a water quality samples done prior to your construction. That way, if you contaminate the area during construction or after construction, they can point to that and be able to do that, which, I, again, maybe is a good function of DEM. That's, that's you know, to be uh, to discuss as a topic for another day. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that if we're just developing a hard management plan and we're not affecting anything in general, why do we have to get one for number one? Number two, why are we paying it out of the town budget back to a state organization? Isn't that taking money out of your left pocket and putting it in your right yeah, pocket? That's what like, it sounds like to like, me. What, what the hell is that about? Not to mention that we have to wait to get this document back to get our harbor management. So th- that delayed the process. Then we found out that, um, you know, we, pandemic happens, things get delayed, people aren't getting back to us. Uh, finally, we get a checklist, a punch list of all the individual things that need to get updated. And some of them are small, just rewordings they want to do to conform with the, the main documents. Uh, but some of them actually are changes to the ordinances in the town charter. Now, if people are aware, the big thing in Rhode Island and, you know, in, nationwide, too, is is the home charter rule, which is uh, uh, self-governance, basically. As, as towns, uh, we petition the state and we, we develop our specific charters that we u- use to manage that, that says that if we're going to have a town manager or a mayor or a city council or, you know, how, how many districts are going to be, everything like that. And here it is. A, another appointed government organization, the CRMC, is requiring us to change wording in our charter in order to conform with the Harbor wow. Management Plan. And I'm reading through some of the changes, and they're just stupid words. Like they're adding, adding like accessible into the pump out station. Like it needs to be accessible, and 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 there's other language that's just uh, conforming uh, about certain fields. It was some things that aren't even applicable to the the town at all. We don't even have waterways that meet the classification that they want us to to think. And so I I asked the dumb question. I because we're we're all talking about it, and I said, so let me get this straight. If we don't do the ordinance change, what happens? The harbor management plan doesn't get approved. What happens if we don't have an approved harbor management plan? Well, does that mean we can just do whatever the hell we want? No, the <laughs> CRMC takes over governance for our particular harbor and the town actually loses. So they're holding a proverbial loaded gun against the town to, to make these these charter changes. And so it, it really got me thinking about this is not just happening with the harbor management. No. This is happening across the we're, we're updating our hazard mitigation plan which we obviously know we've talked about in past episodes did absolutely nothing to protect us for the the virus or <laughs> yeah. provide any type of yeah. blueprint or anything to do how many changes to our town's charters are going to be made as a result of ideas they come up with or the department of health sticks into the hazard mitigation plan and if we don't get the hazard mitigation plan approved right. by uh the, the towns what ends up happening then they you don't get qualified for 
FEMA funds if you have a natural disaster. So of course they're going to make. So this is the federal government now holding a proverbial gun to the the towns to to change the things. The same thing is is happening um, up and down. It happens with everything. This this was a preve- prevalent thing with the uh, the seatbelt laws mm-hmm. in order to qualify for federal highway funding. Same thing with the drinking age federal highway funding. Um, the, you, are you going to tell me that this is not going to be a thing that's going to be coming down the pike for renewable energy? Uh, oh, oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What about COVID funds? Mm-hmm. And and that gets into a, a question of if you're not vaccinated or a certain percentage of your community isn't vaccinated or whatever, whatever metric they decide to come up with, are they going to start withholding federal funds? Is this going to be you know uh, something that they're going to use and turn on us? And it affects everything of our lives. And I remember... Um, I'll give you one last example because we, it, it can go on and on. I, I'm sure we can. You guys have your own uh, circumstances that you can add to this as well. Uh, but I was talking to an individual that was involved with when they first put fishing licenses on saltwater fishing uh, in, in Rhode Island, and it's completely unconstitutional according to the Rhode Island State Charter. We have unfettered access to our fisheries. We can't, I mean, you can make the argument that they stock inland lakes and ponds with trout and stuff like that. And that, that, that's a reason why you need a fishing license. They maintain the resource, but the saltwater ocean, that's, that's free for all for anyone. And uh, I was asking him the question, like, well, how did it get passed? And he said, well, they put it this way, the Saltwater Anglers Association, they all got involved and they were all trying to fight it. And it boiled down to this, is the federal government said, hey, listen, either you're going to institute a saltwater fishing license and we'll allow you to collect the fees to to collect the fees uh, generated from the saltwater fishing license, mm-hmm. or you can resist us. We're still going to issue a saltwater fishing license and we're just going to collect the fees directly and you're not going to get it. So what ends up happening with Rhode Island with everything else yeah. is we just completely throw our state constitution out the window. And and like I said, the, the, my whole point, my whole segment, I think, and what, I'd like to hear what your guys' thoughts are if you have any other examples, is how much the federal government is creeping into. I mean, school departments, another one, 70, 80 percent of their budget is determined by state and federal mandates. So you have elected officials up there. They're not even choosing what to do with your, your your money, they're just putting it where it says. That's why when we have a, a situation like mask mandates that's in the news right now, none of them have the spine or the backbone to actually make a decision because they never have to. Mm-hmm. It's because they're always just pushing money where they're being told to push money. And that's not the purpose of, this, the, of our United States of America. It's supposed to be pushing uh, governance down to the local level, all the way down to the town councils, the city councils, and the school committees, because that's where government should be really happening. That's so. where you have the the closest access to government yeah. as well, right? You can chances are you know who your town, especially if you're in a smaller town, you might be, you know you might go to the diner and sit right next to the mayor, right, and yeah. be able to talk to them directly. Where you know none of us in Rhode Island, even Rhode Island, being able to talk to the governor very easily anyway. Um, I mean, it take it, it it's it, you know it takes some effort, but I think it's fascinating. Like like you're saying, these they're all like back doors that yeah. they they have into, and I, I don't think the average person even understands how that spider web is all intertwined. It seems and, so minor, yeah. right? It's something that the, you know, uh, normally a person just may not even pay attention to, the, but yeah. that, that's crazy. Like it's the spider web. Yeah. Right? The idea that the, the, the state can get a town to modify its charter through a back door in their coastal management plan or their, uh, is that what it's called? The, yeah, the yeah, harbor management, harbor management plan, yeah. b- you know, essentially forcing them to change it or otherwise the penalty is we're going to take over from, from you. And, and then you have no say in the matter. It's and just insane. The scariest part is that they go on autopilot 
Because yeah. what ends up happening is they throw their hands up and they say, well, we have to do it for the, the harbor management plan and it has to be done. So the council doesn't even question it. Yeah. The solicitor gets up and they say, oh, guess what? And, and Tony DeSisto is actually the solicitor for the CRMC as well. So that's a, another great thing in Rhode Island as well. But that's a whole other story. And uh, he goes ahead and says, hey, listen, you guys, uh, you know, these are the requirements for the harbor management plan. If you want to maintain, you know, you need to do these things. It, it doesn't affect you know, whatever. So I recommend you go ahead and, and do it. And then they just blindly vote yes. And it's yeah. never even a question. They do their three readings or whatever they have to do. And the, the general public that show up to the the council meetings don't have no idea what is actually going on in the background. Yeah. I think part of the problem is nobody, it seems, or many people don't have a skepticism of government at any level, especially the higher levels. They think the higher level is, is a, um, is superior to the lower level, right? So therefore the lower level needs to do what the higher level says. It's kind of like this hierarchy when it's really not that. It's the other not way the way around. Yeah. Exactly yeah. right. Like, and, and the individual is supreme in all of that. The, you know, uh, it, it's just this, you know, how we've gotten to this point where you're submissive to the, the, you know, the perceived higher authority, you know, it's just kind of crazy. You know, it's interesting and maybe we shouldn't be surprised because, you know, the CDC will, you know, the wind will blow a certain way and you see everyone react right away. Right. And it's just, it's just a agency as a, as a part of the federal government. Right. Right. And one little thing from there can just, it's a domino effect. And, and that the CDC is the authority, like they are the experts, you know, that people discount the thousands of other scientists and doctors and people that are experts in their fields that don't work for the CDC. They don't want to work for the government, no. you know, but they can't, they're not as their, their uh, opinions or their findings or their research isn't as good as the CDC. Cause that's a government institution. Well, you know? So it's gotta be better. Think about how absurd it is that Dr. Fauci gets on TV and he makes recommendations for the entire country. Like how different is the state of Rhode Island and the little pockets of the towns and cities and towns, little Compton compared to Woonsocket compared to Westerly and the things that they're dealing with in these different communities. And, and, and you have one individual that's giving uh, guidance, not only to all those uh, communities in the state of Rhode Island, but communities all the way across the country up to Alaska, Hawaii, and the, you know, in yeah. Puerto Rico and every other place, it's like, give me a break. This is, it's not a one size fits all solution for everyone. That's basically, well, that's communism, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. Exactly. I mean, uh, hopefully maybe this segment will get some people thinking that, you know, oh, maybe, the, the, you know, there's a better way. And when we talk about reducing regulations, this is why, because this yeah. is the, this is the, the insidious thing that builds on it and it just yeah. continues and continues. Yeah. Anyway, good, 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 uh, Good points here, Bill. Yeah, so I mean that, that's that's basically it with the uh, with, with that. I mean it's it's like I said, it, we we talk about all these different nuances over and over again, but it it continues to 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 rear its ugly head, and that's what we're fighting against as libertarians. Yeah, you know, speaking of that kind of federal level impact, and you know, the CDC, uh, you know, I've and we've all heard right, you know, a lot of buzz lately, you know, related to like the eviction moratoriums, and and uh, that was all kind of generated through the CDC. Uh, which, you know, a little bit of history for the past couple of months, that was actually disputed by the Supreme Court, right? Saying, you know, congressional action was necessary to make a mandate like that kind of stick and happen. Uh, despite that ruling, the CDC said, eh, we'll just extend it out anyway. We'll do it until October. So they were told, don't do it. 
They do it anyway. And they're doing it anyway. You know? <laughs> they're waiting to get the slap on the wrist to, to see what happens because nothing happened last time. They, they continued it out, right? And, uh, you know, so they're continuing the moratorium until October. And that applies to Rhode Island, right? That the, the clauses and then, you know, subsequently the funding that comes with that type of status, as long as, you know, the counties in Rhode Island continue to be deemed at a substantial or high risk. So if you guys kind of remember, you know, COVID kind of started going away a little bit in Rhode Island. Then all of a sudden, you know, kind of around the time, you know, tinfoil hat, yeah. you know, kind of around this time, we started getting substantial and high categorizations back in our different counties. It's also interesting that September 4th, the unemployment benefits and the extended benefits run out too. So that clock is ticking as well too. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, we talked about that in a previous episode about how much you're getting paid on unemployment. And yeah. if you were facing that cliff of all of a sudden having the the benefits run out and maybe time to have uh you know another lockdown or something to, to <laughs> give an excuse to extend those benefits i don't know I, I, again i'm taking my tinfoil hat off for this uh this conversation <laughs> but you know talking about the moratorium and, and real uh, you know uh, i was reading an article from the providence journal they indicated that you know that type of stuff that level of thing is actually only going to help about two thousand households in rhode island right so you know the reason why i bring this up is biden made such a big movement you know targeted at the state governments to start handing out all the money that it had reserved uh, in the last couple of relief packages that, that that they pushed throughout the federal level. I think it was like uh, $67 billion reserved for stuff like that for all the different states. And Rhode Island had a chunk of that, and not as much as other states, but they had $200 million in funding that was supposed to you know, direct federal emergency rental assistance program funds. But as expected, the state was not competent enough to figure out how to move money from one hand to another, which surprises me because they're actually really good at doing it in other areas. Like if you're, they, you're they're quicker to take it out of your hands and move it into <laughs> theirs, but yeah. or scoop it out of a restricted account. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so so you know, Rhode Island received the two hundred million dollars from the federal government that aid back in December, and as of June, they only distributed one point two million dollars worth of it. And it seems all the issues that they were citing, you know, about how, well, why couldn't they get money fast out, out there fast enough? Uh, this is the status quo for Rhode Island Information Technology Services. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, you know, the state hired a company to create a portal in February to facilitate this. Some online database, yeah. you know. Was it Deloitte? <laughs> it, it wasn't though. Oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> hopefully we learned our lesson. But I think we're still paying them money. But, <laughs> I'm sure we are. <laughs> you know, you know, when, when we think about things with Rhode Island, things that really stick out, like UHIP, right? Yeah. I mean, millions and millions of dollars thrown away, where those millions of dollars could definitely have been purposed better to like actually help the the small amount of the population that is on the benefits. Yeah, uh, I, I digress though. So they, you know, they. Uh, they, they hired the company in February, um, and that award was a delayed contract. The, the state is really slow to execute anything on contracts, right? You know, so they awarded it to uh, Alita. Uh, it's a firm out of Columbus, Ohio. Mm. Okay. Uh, the web portal didn't go live until March 31st. Mm. And a week later, the problems were so bad that they had to take the website off completely for 10 days. You know, it's funny because if you actually go to that vendor's website, they indicate they can get things rolling in two weeks. So, uh, you know, uh, (laughs) I I swear it's like uh, people think that like, you know, hey, if we just say it, 
if we just say, oh, we're going to give money to someone or we're going to put f- put money towards whatever. And they just, you know, write a piece of it on a piece of paper and, and their congressman signs it and it yeah. goes up to get signed by the president or whatever that it just happens. Nobody realizes. I mean, isn't this exactly the, the government's M.O. is like, you know, they, they good intentions, but it just gets completely bogged down with bureaucratic red tape. And then it, the funds don't get there in time. And then by the time they get there, they, there's nothing to spend it on because everybody's either moved on or figured out something else. And so it gets all wasted and sent to big corporations. Yeah, but, but it blows my mind because like Rhode Island does distribute funds to people. I mean, all the unemployment benefits, a lot of that funding that came from the federal government. Now that's been plagued with, you know, fraud, I, fraud. fraud <laughs> and identity theft. My and, wife got hit with Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. So they don't have the best track record, but at least they have some systems in place. And you would think they might be able to uh, scale or leverage the existing technologies. We saw in, in, in the budget review that they had doubled the IT budget to do stuff like that um, in, in the state of Rhode Island. But I guess they forgot to add that part. I don't know. It's it's unbelievable. It's 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 ridiculous anyway, because what's what's this relief fund is going out. And what is this exactly what the government does as well, too? It breaks your leg and then hands you a crutch. Yeah. And it says, hey, listen, we're going to make it so that, you know, you can't pay your mortgage because your tenants aren't paying you rent. And, you know, you may have this house as your investment uh, for your retirement or whatever the hell else might be. And you may lose that. Uh, but uh, here's some relief funds. And uh, guess what? I mean, it happened with farmers, subsidized farmers. Uh, you know, it, it, if anything up and down uh, the, the line where you can see where government is subsidizing industry, the solar industry, everything like that, uh, it, it's, it's just bad bastardizing the whole entire process and it's just creating uh, a, a terrible environment economic environment yeah so the funny thing about this so instead of fixing things with the with the broken system that they put a lot of money into and you know have already been down the road on this they decided to put out another contract to start over right <laughs> so they uh, contracted another vendor a company called yardy that uh, you know seemed pretty legitimate it creates real estate management software you know acro- across the globe yeah uh, you know that new portal went online on May 20th. And as of June, they had distributed 0.6% of the funds designated for the relief. Here's the kicker, though. The state has a requirement from the Biden administration to give out 60% of all the funds by September. So that's $120 million. Hey, we should try to get some. Or or (laughs) the remaining balance goes back to the federal government. Mm. So one more thing uh, before we go into the details of the actual programs that's supposed to be funded under it, right, uh, is some of the details for the current vendor for this portal. Uh, they're awarded, uh, there's like a 20K setup fee, and then every time there's an application or a payment that goes out, they get paid 10 bucks. So that, that's that's baked so, into so ba- it. So basically the only person that's getting money from the Federal Housing Relief Fund is the government contractors that are just getting paid to make the website is what you're saying. Yeah. And the current estimate, they would definitely make more than a million dollars just to facilitate the handing out of the, uh, the funding. You know, you know, believe it or not, Rhode Island was ranked one of the worst of the worst states in administrating the funds and the program overall. You don't and, say. And, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Shocking. Uh, and, and also uh, ranked pretty dead last towards handling evictions in general. You know, they're rated by the eviction lab at Princeton University, which you know, I guess that's a thing. But Rhode Island got a 1.98 out of five stars uh, as of my last check on that. Right. So, you know, and another interesting comparison to that is Rhode Island, you know, overall, just thinking of like, you know, how big of a problem is this really? You know, um, Rhode Island only has about 150,000 households at rent. 
Right. And uh, the interesting point is that Connecticut, you know, uh, you know, one of our neighboring states uh, at this point in June, they had already administered this level of benefit to 156,000 households. Hmm. So just to show the, you know, it's 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 not the the fact that, um, you know, pe- this wasn't a task that was impossible. It's just that Rhode Island couldn't execute it. You know, it's it's not like people from Connecticut are just smarter, or maybe they are. You know, but they were able to hand out more than our maximum top of people that rent in in the same amount of time. It, it just blows my mind. So, uh, you know, I'll go into a couple of the details for the program as established by Rhode Island, right? So uh, for the, you know, the, the rent uh, uh, assistance, right? So if, if you apply for the benefits, you get a $50 per month uh, internet stipend. Um, <laughs> it'll pay for rent and utilities starting from April 1st, 2020. And, you know, utilities include electricity, water, trash, and heat. Uh, each uh, qualifying applicant gets 18 months worth of assistance. And there is no monthly cap on the rent relief. So whatever your rental agreement says, uh, whether it's $700, $1,000, $2,000, $3,000, it's A-OK. And that'll be used as the baseline for that monthly rent um, you know, payment that goes out. So could that be abused? I'm just thinking how many scams are being run? Not, not just the landlord jacking up the rent just to get more money, but the landlord going to his tent saying, Hey, look, I'm going to jack up your rent. You know, you're going to get paid, you know, and I'll, I'll let you keep this much. I'll keep this much and we'll split it down the middle kind of thing. I want you know, I'm sure that's not going to happen in Rhode Island, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely not. But, you know, there are some checks to that, right? So that, you know, you have to justify the assistance needed as related to COVID Uh and you have to meet the income requirements, Um, you know, and, uh, you know, out of the, the, there's a portal that's supposed to show some transparency and all, but I thought that some of the metrics were uh, interesting. Overall in Rhode Island, there were only 3,182 applications submitted. Now, all the the metrics I'm about to talk about are on the basis of the number of accounts created on the portal, which is overall uh, 8,266. Only 1,522 applications were actually approved. So half of the ones that were submitted, um, you know, uh, 92 individual applicants have been paid 186K and 1,182 landlords got direct payments of about $8 million so far. Hmm. Okay, so out of the, the the total of two hundred million dollars, they've only handed out to date about eight million dollars. They have to give out one hundred twenty million dollars by September. How are they going to do that? Well, they decided to come up with a new program recently. I think it goes live this month, uh, you know, in August. So out of that, um, this one is for homeowners. Okay. It's called the Homeowner Assistance Fund Rhode Island, and it's currently pending U.S. Treasury Department approval for the use of the funds. For this one, uh, you know, I, I would just went over some basic criteria. You know, so if you're a family of four, your household income can't exceed 130k a year in Rhode Island. Uh, you have to show a material reduction of s- some level of income or material increase in expenses over the past couple of years. You know, prices have definitely gone up in the, mm. since COVID has happened. Right. And you know, the, the, your mortgage balance can't exceed 600 K. Okay. And the, 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 the payments that can come out from this, it can cover your monthly mortgage payments, uh, principal reduction, uh, payment assistance for utilities, flood or mortgage insurance, property taxes, homeowner association fees, condo fees, and other housing-related expenses. I'm doing air quotes in the room. Um, And 
an applicant is allowed 24 months of assistance, not to exceed 50K per person. So, you know, do I, will they distribute 200 million or the required 120 million by September? I, I doubt it. You know, in fact, there doesn't seem to actually be a crazy demand for it in Rhode Island. You know, just looking at the low levels of the the, the renters applying for benefits, there didn't seem to be that much against the larger population. Well, you haven't seen a lot of advertising for it, have you? I mean, has, have you, has you come across that? I mean, God, you get uh, advertising for get the vaccine and all the other stuff like that, but you're not getting... They're blowing their YouTube ad budget on the vaccine, I think. Yeah. That's the problem. And I mean, this is something that could help a lot of people. I think if you're a listener a listener to the podcast, I, I think you should try to apply. I mean, hey, what's the worst that could happen? I would like to see all of this money go to directly to loyal listeners of, <laughs> of, of the uh, Rhode Island Liberty Report. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm always of the, you know, and we've talked about this in other situations and other episodes, you know, different things, you know, anytime you can get money that the money, the government's taken from you back in your pocket, you know, go for it. I'm Absolutely. all, I'm all for that. You know, the, the problem here is that some of that money is being thrown into bureaucracy and the contractors and all that stuff. So the best bet would have been just let people keep their money, you yeah. know, to begin with. Right. So you wouldn't have to chase it, but you know, that's or, just too, that's too easy. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, why couldn't they just yeah. not pay tax? for an entire year. Hey, everybody, like, we're just going to take 2020 off because it sucks. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> radical. Thing. Right, right. Crazy thinking. And how could they just, you know, line the pockets of their, you know, how do you give, well, they, no, and then if you're not paying taxes, then you wouldn't get any reduction. So you'd be upset because you didn't get as much as your neighbor. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, just to link it to something that uh, I talked about earlier in the show, right? So if this, you know, if the state didn't have that, you know, close to $200 million in pure debt payments a year, Right. Those resources could have definitely gone towards something better. You know, the federal government has determined Rhode Island needed two hundred million dollars in aid. Right. And, you know, if the state didn't steal eleven billion dollars a year from one million people and businesses, you know, I bet Rhode Island's overall you know, Rhode Islanders would be in a much better position you yeah. know, to, yeah. to, to react to something like that. Well, and just like everything else too, like how long did the state sit on this money mm. and try to figure out what they could spend it on before they distributed it to everyone else? Because that seems like what happened with a lot of the other COVID funds. Yeah, they, yeah. they delayed the budget. Yeah, yeah. They, they conveniently want, after elections. Yeah, and they wanted to see how they could plug all the holes because they had a structural deficit which immediately like disappeared once they got the COVID funds, and and they were able to say, oh well, we're going to apply these funds to last year's budget, these funds to this this year's budget, and and really just kind of of, you know, get creative with the numbers to, to make all and make everything work. Uh, and, and again, like, so did they sit on these funds for however long trying to apply it somewhere else and then realize they couldn't do it? And now they just have a, a short time frame to get the money out to the people that need it. Similar things happened with the uh, the funds uh, for the the CARES Act that was supposed to go to the small businesses. Uh, Gina Armando wasn't giving it to that was what the, the big thing that Dan McKee was complaining about when he was mm-hmm. lieutenant governor is they weren't distributing the months, the funds that were were uh, allocated for small businesses. It, it was just, uh, they're, they're dying on the vine and, and the state of uh, Rhode Island is trying to figure out what budget hole they can plug with those dollars. So, you know, another thing that gets tied into the conversation is, you know, with the, the need for rent relief, the rent, the rent is too damn high, right? And so, <laughs> you know, it, it gets to the, into the whole affordable housing topic in Rhode Island. So in, in the last budget, the governor posi- provisioned a new position for a deputy secretary of commerce that is tasked with the development of affordable housing opportunities to assist in building strong community efforts and revitalizing neighborhoods. 
This is what folks are referring to as the housing czar. Okay, so, so you know, uh, based on the legislation that w- that created this role, right? Uh, you know, the housing czar is supposed to work with other state agencies on housing initiatives and provide an annual report on housing statistics. That's it. So if we look back to our last episode, which you guys didn't, uh, you know, check that one out. Definitely recommend uh, listening to. Uh, we we talked about you know uh, the the roles and responsibilities of the lieutenant governor, where there are only a few items that we could point out. This is a similar thing where they're 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 boasting about this housing czar, but it's only got a couple things to do. They have to talk to the other state agencies about housing initiatives and do an annual report on housing statistics in Rhode Island. So does he have a million dollar budget like Lieutenant Governor does too? Or? So they <laughs> created a restricted receipt account, oh, which we, we definitely went over in previous episodes in the budget. You know, this account is called the Rhode Island Housing Production Fund, uh, which was established uh, to, I'll read this verbatim, uh, financial assistance by loan, grant, or otherwise for the planning, production, or preservation of affordable housing in Rhode Island for households earning not more than 80% of the area median income, technical and financial assistance for cities and towns to support increased local housing production, including by reducing regulatory barriers and through housing incentives for municipality programs and in administering the housing production fund, Rhode Island housing and mortgage finance corporation shall give priority to households either exiting homelessness that's a lot of S's or earning not uh, more than 30% of the area median income. So I'm going to link this together, right? Yeah. The state's actually giving us the libertarian solution. But <laughs> Lower regulation. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> so they accidentally admitted that, that by reducing regulation, they can increase housing production. They even called them barriers. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what to say to that. Yeah. It's well, almost they, as if they, well, they know what the problem is. Well, they hired a new government agent or created a new government agency to do it. So I can't say it's yeah. really libertarian. Exactly. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> True. But they said the quiet part out loud. I know, and they're not I supposed know. to do that. That was supposed to be your inside voice. It's, oh, a, it's supposed to be God. like something like uh, the energy crisis or systemic racism. That's the root of affordable housing crisis. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you know, so the, the, uh, the other interesting aspect of affordable housing changes. Right. They put in a tax exemption for anyone that is doing anything related towards affordable housing. So they're negating the entire section 44 TAC 25 TAC 1 which is taxes imposed. Mm-hmm. Right? Saying quote nothing in this section shall be construed to impose a tax upon any grant, assignment, transfer, conveyance or vesting of any interest direct or indirect among owners members or partners in any real estate company with respect to an affordable housing development where the housing development has been financed in whole or in part with federal low-income housing tax credits pursuant to the IRS code, or at least one of the owners, members, or partners of the company is associated with a Rhode Island nonprofit corporation or an entity uh, tax exempt under 501c3 of uh, IRS code or is owned by a Rhode Island nonprofit corporation. And the housing development is subject to a recorded deed restriction or a declaration of land use restrictive covenants in favor of Rhode Island housing mortgage and uh, housing and mortgage finance corporation, uh, state of Rhode Island housing resources, federal home loan bank, any of its members or any other local state, government under affordable housing programs. No such real estate company shall be an acquired real estate company under the section. So that that's a lot. I wanted to say that, you know, because by accident, again, they admitted there that taxes are a barrier to affordable housing. Yep. 
They indicate that as long as you use some sort of qualifying federal money or any sort of credit, no taxes. Or, you know, if at least one of the people that are working on this project can somewhat be associated to one of these uh, uh, initiatives towards uh, affordable housing, no taxes, completely exempt. You know, so I, I stumbled upon an interview with uh, Joe Shikarchi, right, a House Democrat. Uh, the House Speaker, yeah. Democrat from Warwick, right? And he said that the number one issue is housing supply right now. He said, uh, you know, housing inventory was one third of what it used to be. Prices are skyrocketing, you know, post COVID. Uh, he said businesses won't move here without housing for their workforce. The solution was the establishment of the housing czar who will work on these issues full time. And then they created two commissions one, one led by Representative June Speakman, Democrat of Bristol Warren from the low and moderate income housing act where they will take a full year to conduct studies and report their findings to the general assembly. Then there's another larger legislative commission to study land use policies. So I'm going to be honest here. They're not trying to solve this problem today. No. Right. We'll get a report from the housing SAR in December. That's the one time early one. And then on an annual basis from there. And then our two legislative commissions made up of representatives that are probably not housing experts uh, will report on some recommendations or likely what I think just their political narrative in one year, you know, maybe getting geared up for another election cycle. Mm. Right. That palm card material. And, 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 and that's it. You know, maybe they will hand out some money as a stopgap, but really it's not going to help more than like a thousand households uh, based on the statistics for the current program. So I kind of wanted to open it up to you guys to discuss the, you know, the libertarian approach towards, you know, affordable housing. Uh, the state already hinted that reducing regulations and reducing taxes will increase housing production. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my, my other, you know, wonder is what barriers are there in place to building houses, right? Like, so we all know about the environmental regulations that are, are being passed and coming, coming down the road here very shortly, you know, that's scaring away. I'm sure scaring away contractors from wanting to do that. I don't, I, you know, I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not a, a contractor, but I'm sure there's a lot of steps that are in place to, you can't just go out, build a house and, and you're done with it anymore. Right. Like it's, no. it's, uh, well, to Sean's yeah. point, he, he said, if, if any of these projects are involving any type of federal funds, whatever they, they need to adhere by those guidelines, right. which increase the cost of construction, yeah. which is going to allow us to build less housing stock. And there's, again, there's the idea that you have these communities that don't have a low supply of affordable housing. Again, we've talked about this in previous uh, episodes when we did the, uh, when June Speakman's uh, enabling legislation. This is different from that, though. This is this is the federal funds that they're giving. Yeah. Uh, but we, but we, t we talked about this before, um, that the, the, the whole idea that the, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. Yeah. No, so um, it's, yeah, it's confusing. It, yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> well, to me, it seems like it's like they're whacking themselves in the head, wondering why they have a headache. You know, it's yeah. like they're they're just all the stuff that they do on a day to day basis, and then when there's an issue in in the the quote unquote free market in the marketplace, you know, like why is there housing shortage? Why? Well, maybe people aren't building housing. You, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> well, so again, the the definition of I'm sorry about it. the definition of affordable housing. Uh, they they say it's a part of a federal pro project or and the definition of federal housing has a deed restriction, which means it's Section Eight housing. They don't call it Section Eight anymore. They call it affordable housing. It's going to be called workforce housing pretty soon because affordable housing is socialist. A, a negative <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, comrade. Yes, this is our workforce housing. Yeah. Uh, but the the fact of the 
the matter is, is they'll point to a community like Warren, for example, and that's where I'm from, so I'll use it as an example. And they say there's no affordable housing in Warren. Well, if you go to some parts of the north part of Warren, there's old, you know, multifamilies, six, seven, eight, ten plus units. Uh, there's different parts of town where uh, there's small, modest-sized homes that are rented that could uh, easily be considered affordable when you compare mm. it to the market rent that's out there. The difference is that they don't have Section 8 deed restrictions, so they're not des- or I'm sorry, they're not designated as affordable housing with a deed restriction, or they're not accepting Section 8 tenants. Therefore, they don't meet the qualification of the definition for the uh, state for affordable housing. Therefore, Warren doesn't meet the requirement, even though we do have affordable housing. So it's again, it's they're making up their own definition and then implementing policy based upon a community not meeting that that definition. And Warren is another great example because I'll give you another thing that's happening. And considering it's June part of June Speakman's district, she should be uh, kind of aware of this too. Uh, well, actually, I guess this part isn't. But in the north part of town, uh, because Warren has doesn't meet the qualifications that the state requires, they were going to put a large uh, affordable housing complex in an old farmland right near the Kikamua Reservoir. And the did non-conforming to the community, the neighborhood, it was going to be completely too big for the, the landscape, uh, the infrastructure, the sewer and water lines couldn't handle it, not to mention the roads and everything like that. So the community was upset about it. And they ended up, uh, I think the most recent thing is, is that they, they were able to put it down. Uh, but without some fancy legal maneuvering on their own behalf, uh, the contractor, because Warren didn't meet the requirements, didn't need to go get local zoning approval. He just, because of the state law, the way the legislator was, legislation was written, could go and just submit the plans. And it w- they had to take a lot of extra maneuvering to get to stop the plan. And it, again, takes the, uh, to my segment before, it's taking the ability of the self-governance away from the local municipalities and giving it to the state or the federal government, which isn't right. Just one of the kind of the side point here we were talking about, and we I mentioned it earlier in a, in a comment about, you know, anytime we can get money back from from the government, we can take that opportunity. I, you know, just to point out a problem with this, these federal funds that we're getting, it's the federal government doesn't have any money, right? Like th- they're just printing this money. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like you're getting your tax dollars back. It's, it's being printed. And then that, of course, is driving inflation. And, you know, it's I think you know, personally it's going to get worse from here on you know, forward. But yeah, so that's something else to consider. All these federal funds are just coming out of the thin well, air at this point. Well, most and, of them are coming out of thin air, but I, I still pay federal taxes. Well, you still too. Pay, but yeah. that, where's that going? Oh, that's exactly. going to service the debt, right? Yeah, like, exactly. yeah, yeah, Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. It's not, uh, yeah, so... Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, definitely uh, stay tuned for for how that, you know, the the mortgage relief goes. And, you know, you know, based on the the metrics there, you know, it's a lot of people in Rhode Island would probably qualify. I I think it's something to look into, get Mm. some more of your money back. And I think that's the reason why the state is launching something like this so late in the game is I think they're scrambling and try to give out this money. So what a disaster. More, more to follow on that one. Yeah. Well, I'll keep an eye on it. Will you have to pay taxes on the money you get for the grant program? Ooh, I don't know. That's a good question, right? <laughs> yeah. So they get it back. <laughs> That's what they did with the PPP money, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. Unbelievable. Thanks. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Is that a wrap? I think so. I yes, think sir. we covered a lot of ground tonight. Yeah, definitely. We did. We thought this would be a quick one. Actually, yeah. one of our longer ones. But uh um, so yeah, as always, you want if you want to connect with us based on anything you heard here or anything you want us to talk about, you can go to uh, libertyri.com slash 
connect and you can get all of our contact information there. Either send us an email through the contact form or contact us through social media, interact with us. Um, of course, always libertyri.net is our social platform that we have that you can go to and start your own conversation there for sure. Um, and we'd love to see some people over there and get some more activity going on that. Um, as far as the podcast itself, you know, subscribe to us on Apple, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, all the typical podcatchers that are out there. We should be syndicated on all of those. And please don't forget on the one that you listen to us on, if it offers a ability to rate or comment, please do. Yeah, absolutely. And don't forget, get your free porcupine sticker, libertyri.com. Yeah. And, and, and be careful. It's going to be warm the next couple of days. There's going to be that sunshine tax. So be, a, be a, <laughs> look out on the lookout for that. Yeah. yeah. They're going to tax the sunshine to make it go away, right? <laughs> All right, guys. Everybody, take care. Take it easy. See you next time. You've been listening to the Rhode Island Liberty Report. Be sure to check us out at libertyri.com.